You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 253 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I'm sitting next to a very technically challenged Matt Smith. What over two weeks in a row and he's having a meltdown, <laughs> honestly. Hello, be, everybody. To How be fair, we? Matt has got a, a new piece of equipment in front of him. I know. And I'm talking about the mixer desk that... Yes. Uh, Yes. He's been, it was actually very kindly donated by uh, Mr. Bounds, who is uh, with us here this evening. And uh, Matt has been getting. You're, actually, you've you've nailed that bit, haven't you? Yeah, the, no, the the, that's fine. It's it's the as we're still it's learning the green screen and stuff. But oh. uh, hey, uh, th- this is why I, d- I love doing stuff like this because it gives me, you know, it's yeah, never mind the aeroplanes. This is it's much good. more fun. It's good. <laughs> so joining us uh, as well this week is our other awesome co-host on the show. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, hello everybody, and uh, yes, despite a little bit of a technical thing going on there, it's uh, it's all good, and uh, great to be back on the show, looking forward to lots of stories and lots of chat in the chat room as well. Oh, yeah, indeed. indeed. Uh, how's your week been, Nev? Good? It's been a good week, and uh, went up to Edinburgh, uh, where it was actually slightly warmer than it was down south, um, which is un- unusual. Um, and we didn't have any snow really up there. But we had quite a bit of snow around the Buckinghamshire area. You may have had some of your. No, we, too, we, do but, you know what? Uh, we've actually been spared thus far. You, yes. Oh, oh we had a flake this week. Yeah, we had about four flakes. Flakes, four flakes. Last, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But yeah. Uh, now you were saying before we started, Nev, that you had a rather marvellous flight. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, on the uh, BA have just taken delivery of their new, uh, one of their new A321neos. And um, I, it's only been in service a couple of months and it's still got that new plane smell, I'm mm. pleased to say, uh, which never seems to last very long, does it? When you, when you buy a new car, it lasts for, you know, two or three months and then it sort of goes away. But I think you can get an aerosol can with it. <laughs> but have a listen to these engines. Oh, here we go. Goosebumps. Look. That runway needs some attention. Potholes, eh? Yes, that square front wheel is going to get fixed. Turbo's just cutting. Yes, these engines, these nice brand new engines, do sound like a triple seven uh, on takeoff. Um, but when you get to about a thousand feet or so, it goes very, very quiet indeed. And actually, at the, at the, in the cruise, uh, it's lovely and quiet. And uh, they've done a great job uh, of these engines. My only slight concern is that there's the the pods seem to be quite close to the ground when the aircraft is on the ground itself. So I'm always a bit worried they might scrape up one side or the other in a. In a uh, gusty conditions, but uh, so what no, it's very nice, uh, very nice aircraft. Three twenty one Neo. Okay, so it's like the three twenty, but got a little bit more length. Indeed, uh, that's yes. it. Yeah. Well, no, th- thanks for that, Neva. As I say, that that is that is proper nice. pr- proper plain geekery right there, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, mm. yeah, yes, indeed. Actually, Jenny in Rome has said that she had that view as well from five A uh, two weeks ago. Oh. 
very good. Yeah. So joining us again this week, and uh, he's going to feature very heavily on the show because uh, uh, Armando is going to join us as kind of part of the team and mm. uh, kind of ma sort of manage the military side of the show, yeah. the stories. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the show. It's Armando. Hi, everybody. Like uh, Tony S. said in the chat room, I can't believe it's episode 253 already. I feel like it was just yesterday. We're at down in London for the 200th. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah tell me about it. Because I, I that, that's actually popped out. We, we had a production meeting, didn't we, this week? And it actually yeah. popped up in our... Um, in our feeds, doesn't it? Didn't yeah, it? While, yeah. While we the were down there, which yeah. I just couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't believe it already. Yeah, and uh, Nev, while you're recording up there in uh, seat one A, I'll be the correspondent in the on the battlefield in uh, seat thirty thirty eight F. Well, <laughs> Frank, how it frankly sounds speaking, you know, that. we we needed we need some attention to the military because <laughs> it's been a little bit neglected, and yes, one or two listeners have said, "Come on, guys, yeah, let's yeah. have a bit more." Growth. So Armando has very kindly uh, decided to join us uh, on the uh, on the team and become a uh, a big part of the show, which is really yeah, good. So we're we, really excited. Uh, we thanks, yeah. Armando, for that. But Indeed. he's he's actually Armando's got someone in the chat room who's uh, incredibly important this week, haven't well, you, Armando? Well, yes. Uh, she's important every day of the week, uh, but yes, Lara, Lara Carrion, otherwise known as Megan, is yes. uh, my wife, and she's oh. changed her name already in in, the, in YouTube, which is, I guess, makes us official. Oh, Yay. Is that nice? I just, I just, say, 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 it's the wife. Oh, this oh. Isn't bad. oh, have you got? Have you got? Would used it be to bad form yet? to put to point her towards the um, Patreon account at all? Or is that oh, too early? <laughs> <laughs> Behave. Honestly, oh, mouth, please. Oh. So uh, I'm guessing then uh, in in future episodes, then Armando, when uh, when you're back stateside, um, we're going to see some perhaps uh, some guest appearances by Laura. Yeah, I can't wait for the chat room to go crazy when Gemma's in the background at, in your guy's <laughs> house and uh, Megan's in the background in in my house, and that'll be. It'll be awesome because nobody will be actually listening to either one of us. And no, no which is probably for the best, let's be honest. Uh, it's, oh. it's, uh, it's definitely the way forward, I think. Actually, <laughs> Auntie Liz, you, there's a very good point that uh, Auntie Liz has made in the chat room. Um, very true, but I actually literally got off the phone with uh, Gemma about 10 minutes ago and she was going out on a run. Oh. Bear in mind, it's like oh, five dark. past seven here and it's dark <laughs> and wet and cold. Yeah. And she's going for some ridiculously long run yeah. around, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but no, welcome to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Loads of you in there, as always, this week. Way too many names to mention, but it's safe to say that all the PTUK family are joining us this evening uh, on this, um, well, this kind of cool friday evening so we've had a few warmer than it has been for a few days actually here oh, yeah, did you see matt we actually had a minus 4.2 this week which was pretty cold i will say for, uh, uh, for us okay here. that's a scary number i, I don't know. know all i know is that in a very large vehicle which i'm usually driving around uh, the last thing i want to see is the Ice. word zero zero uh, yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> zero or minus because it's all a bit like oh, no you're all right thanks yeah so this week on the show, we've got all the usual news, and uh, later on, we've got a segment from Pilot Pip, uh, which is all about uh, uh, magnetic compass bits and stuff, and, and it's all about to do with uh, the magnetic effect on 
aircraft and aviation so that's coming up midway through the show we've also got uh, some hand-picked stories from armando in the military segment this week and uh, to top off at the end of the show we have got uh, some info as to the air shows that we'll be attending this year uh, here in the uk and across the globe so keep stay tuned uh, to listen to uh, where we're going to be this year and what we're going to be doing so it's safe to say guys okay. we had a fairly good productive meeting this uh, this or last weekend for we our did, P2K yes, production meeting, and uh, we've decided on a uh, possible uh, venue for our three hundredth show, which is coming up next year, at the beginning of next year, um, and that we're still in talks to try and secure that. Uh, and uh, yeah, we had a really good discussion. We met uh, obviously met uh, Nev and uh, Mrs. Nev's cats. We? <laughs> well, that, and that was that was the highlight. That, that was the highlight. Honest, yeah, yeah. and uh, me and Matt got to actually stand, and this was amazing. We actually got to stand in the NevTech studio, which actually uh, I'm, I'm going to tr- I'm going to trump you there because you got to stand in it. I got to I, sleep I, in it. I got to sleep in the NevTech studio. <laughs> that is the most surreal experience of my entire life. <sighs> uh, it's like 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 Owen. Uh, I was actually I'm like literally like I'm sending photographs. It's like I can't believe I'm actually in the NevTech studio. I'll tell you what, it's a lovely warm room, Nev, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that soundproofing's very good, isn't it? But it, it can get a bit too warm sometimes, well, if you're I not mean, careful, but, uh, especially I, I, in the summer. To, to be fair, given the, given the fact that I, I am rather guilty of storing, if I'm honest, I was rather pleased yeah, to be I in know. the soundproof room, because uh, oh, okay. why with the door shut, I thought I, st- I stood a good chance of actually keeping it quiet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, obviously, Armando, you don't have trouble like that, of course, because you're um, you know practically perfect in every way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I'm I'm actually right in the opposite because my entire room is made out of like concrete blocks, so the opposite of the NevTech studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, echoey and boxy. But it, yeah, it was so surreal, yeah. though. It was, oh, it I, was. I know it, it sounds so... strange, but it was really strange standing there in, in, in the, the NevTech Nev studios. Studio. And we yeah. did take a few shameless selfies. We did, uh, yes, us, uh, absolutely. Stuff, so, yes. Yeah. It's, 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 the box is very, defect, is very defective, no, very, very deceptive, deceptive, isn't it? Yes. It is very deceptive, yeah. But a uh, quick thank you to Nev uh, oh, again yes. from me and Matt and uh, Gemma as well for putting up with us for, yeah. uh, for the week. Weekend. It was lovely. It was great. And it was lovely for you to come over, and uh, it was great stuff. And uh, Sue and Gemma went out to the local garden centre, of course. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, we were a bit. I was a bit nervous. She, I'm not going to lie. I was a bit nervous that they were going to come back with a palm tree that we were going to try oh, and put in blimey, my car. Yeah. I was a bit nervous about that. I'm <laughs> but not going to lie. The, the, main, yeah. the most important thing was that Gemma came home with beer. She did. Yeah, for Ailes. you. I mean, As how good is Ailes. that? I know. <laughs> Uh, which I had a few last weekend, actually, when Did we got you? home. Oh, so, I, yeah, uh, very nice. Shame, uh, very it? nice. Yes. So I suppose we better start things, really, hadn't we? Being this beans as this is an aviation-style yes. show. <laughs> so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with a rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. For once, yes, actually. I and am. if you're ready, Nev. <laughs> yes, I am. Armando. Ready to go. Let's go. OK, 
kicking off this week's first news story on the popularmechanics.com website and 15 defunct airlines you might not remember. So let's see how many of these uh, airlines you may or may not remember. So we've, uh, we've got the first one on the list here is Mohawk Airlines. They were uh, uh, based uh, in the US uh, from 1945 till 1972 and um, they were especially big in the 60s and uh, well it's safe to say they had some pretty interesting aircraft in their fleet mostly prop liners um, but they were um, they were a big user, I think, of the ATP, if I remember rightly. But they're uh, not anymore. They've, they've disappeared since. Obviously, they finished in 1972. Next on the list is, if I can get this to load up properly, here we go. Next on the list is, and he says this. He's got the links here, and it's not working. Here we go. Oh, why is that not working, Matt? I don't know. <laughs> It's typical. I'll say to you, it, it was Air California. Oh, there we go. <laughs> With uh, 13 destinations, Orange County, California's John Wayne Airport is where they were based. But they were uh, bought up by American Airlines in 1987. Oh, yeah, but the, uh, the, you've got the picture there with the 737-200, old school, um, 737. Next on the list, you've got Midwest Airlines, uh, 1984 till 2010, operating out of Milwaukee and Kansas City Midwest Airlines was aptly named and it added a slew of destinations over the years building out a network far beyond its home turf. A series of mergers ensued in the early 2000s with the carrier eventually morphing into the budget carrier Frontier Airlines. Uh, next on the list you've got Carnival Airlines. Hmm, never heard of those. Carnival Airlines 1988 till 1998 Carnival as a giant in the cruise ship business and the company apparently thought it could replicate the success in the fickle airline world but it thought wrong. Carnival had a fleet of 25 aircraft that, uh, with a network that extended across the eastern seaboard and into the Bahamas, uh, Haiti and Puerto Rico but it eventually was taken over by Pan Am. Next on the list you've got uh, US Airways 1979 till 2015. Uh, called All-American Aviation when it was established in 1937. The company went through a few iterations before it was ultimately absorbed into American Airlines in 2015. However, the airline will be forever associated with the miracle on the Hudson when Chelsea Sullenberger steered the U.S. Airways Flight 1549 to a safe water landing on the Hudson River. Number 10, People Express Airlines, 1981 till 1987. People Express was a kind of forerunner to the low-cost carriers of today, such as Spirit and Frontier Airlines. Things went well for a number of years, with the airline beginning to offer transatlantic flights to London on a 747 in 1983. But a multitude of factors such as diminishing returns from a broadening network to typically cheap airfare contributed to People Express demise. It was absorbed by Continental in 1987. Number nine, Eastern Airlines, one of my big favorites, uh, not just because of their awesome paint job, but also because they used the TriStar. Uh, 1926 to 1991, Eastern came to Providence, thanks in part to the federal government's help in the 1930s. And uh, the airline was declare, um, declared it was ceasing operations in 1991, which is uh, a shame. But I think they've since come back, if I remember rightly. Number eight is ValueJet, 1992 to 97. Uh, ValueJet wasn't around long. It served a network of 28 destinations throughout the U.S. Uh, when it existed. 
Uh, one big reason for the sudden and cast uh, catastrophic uh, crash of Value Jet was when Flight 592 uh, DC-9 plummeted into the Florida Everglades. I remember that one, uh, killing 110 people on board. Uh, another one is Frontier Airlines, 1950 to 1986. Frontier emerged a mega merger between Arizona Airways, Challenger Airways, and Monarch Airlines. It was headquartered in Denver, had hubs in Kansas City and St. Louis, Missouri, and Salt Lake, Utah, and Dallas, uh, Texas. It eventually bit the bullet in the mid 80s, but a niche group of fans still revel in its memory and uh, on, uh, has quite an online presence today. Number six, Central Airlines, 1949-1967. Uh, Central Airlines serviced Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, and other cities dotted around Heartland, U.S. Uh, this played into the airline's downfall as most of the network was made up of sparsely populated cities with no bigger than 20,000 people. Another one, we should all know this one, TWA, Trans World Airlines, 1930-2001. Born of a government merger between Western Air and Transcontinental Air Transport in the 1930s, the carrier didn't become Trans World Airlines for another two decades. And um, it was uh, company was brought by American Airlines in 2001. Uh, number four, Branith International Airways, 1928 till 1982. It was based in Texas and carved out a niche serving much of the South, Midwest, and eventually Latin America. Number three. Now, number three. Number here, three. Now, now, this one is going to cause a great deal of amusement. And the reason why it's going to create, cause a great deal of amusement is because one of my friends goes to a bar that is aptly named this quite often. So if he doesn't burst into laughter when, when this is put up, there, there you is... You should see what the flight attendants yeah. used to wear. So well, number did. three, it's Hooters Air, <laughs> 2003 till 2006. You might expect a Hooters Air from the fast casual dining franchise of the same name to operate the express service to various Margaritaville resorts and golf clubs, and you'd be sort of correct. Hooters Air flew under the same umbrella of Pace Airlines, which Hooters owner Robert Brooks acquired in 2002. Operated out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and served destinations throughout the U.S., Puerto Rico, and the Bahamas. Times were good for a few years, but every great party comes to an end, crashing to a halt. In 2006, Hooters Air abruptly called quits and up the jig to the good old was for the good old uh, was up for the good old guys to drink beer at altitude in the company of women half their age. Hmm. Number two, Continental Airlines, 1934 till 2012. Continental isn't so much dead as it's operating under a new name and licensing agreements. The airline merged with the parent company of United Airlines uh, Corporation in 2012, a deal worth $3 billion. Though you won't see the Continental name emblazoned on aircraft anymore, United employees still wear the same uniforms that a Continental predecessors wore. And the number one is Pan Am, or Pan American World Airlines. 1927 till 1991, Pan Am was also uh, Pan-American uh, Pan World Airlines, also known as Pan Am, was an American mainstay with huge ambitions. The airline definitely had its glory days, and it flew the Beatles to New York City in 1964, uh, became an icon of the glory days of jet travel, and wanted to spearhead passenger trips to the moon by the year 2000. <laughs> wow. So wow. there we go. A that few names there you may and may not have heard. Any special names there for you, Nev? that you were may have flown yeah on? people express was a, was a very popular and very significant 
airline i think in terms of the low cost uh, transatlantic thing um and obviously using a 747 to do it with as well um so uh, yeah that was a very uh, very significant uh, airline for the us i would say any biggies there for you armando yeah i think eastern airlines for me is the biggest one but more so is uh, the airplanes. There was a couple of Convair 540s in there, and that's what my dad flew, which is pretty cool uh, to see those. Awesome. So moving on to the next story, and Matt, this one is uh, a special Ryanair one for you, but it's a good story this yeah, week. Yeah, indeed. Uh, this is, I, I saw this, uh, this even made uh, what I call mainstream media as well, actually. Uh, so an odd uh, choice of website. It's her.ie. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the headline is Irish Lads Play a Trad Session What's a trad session? It's a style of music, Irish Is it? music. Right, A trad session on board a Ryanair flight And it's a must watch video Right, brilliant. Listen, there's nothing quite like an there's nothing quite as Irish as a trad session. It's one of the most enjoyable experiences, and there's nothing better than listening to a few tunes while in the pub on a Friday night. However, these students from the music class at St Brendan's College, uh, the STEM in Kilmarney, uh, Kerry decided to do an impromptu session on a flight going from London to Kerry. Uh, they even broke out into a Birra Irish dancing while at it. The Ryanair Twitter account posted the video and people went absolutely mad for it. Uh, I'm not going to try and read the uh, the tweets. It does say at the end of the story, well done, lads. Uh, I might see if I can try and get it to... If everybody just talks for a minute, I'll see if I can... So step it up, Mary, my fine daughter. Step it up, Mary, if do you remember we had the story, was it last week, about live music on aircraft? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, that's true. I've never heard it before. This is quite cool. You know what, I'd have loved to have been on that flight. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly, you know, if, if you're the remotest bit annoyed by something, this would cheer you up. And let's be honest, you're on a Ryanair flight, so you're already annoyed. <laughs> do they have a seat 1A, Nev? <laughs> uh, they do, yes. But, uh, I, I don't think... Uh, it's it's not the same, just is it? That lot there. Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a I great know, I'd like that. Yeah, I'd love I that. I think that's yeah, good. Yeah. I, I think we need more live folk groups playing yeah, in absolutely. the skies. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. What do you think, Armando? Well, I, guess that answer, I guess that answers that question of the live acts in the uh, in the air and whether or not yeah. they're going to play over the loudspeaker. Well, yeah. Well, if you're this lot, you don't need the loudspeaker, of course. You, uh, just Miley, just put in the chat room, she says it's a lot better than the stag party that was on her flight today. Oh, uh, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, there is that, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, I'm loving it. Sorry, yeah. I could really get into this. I wonder how much Ryanair charged for this. Oh, well, hopefully they've got a free <laughs> flight with all the public. It's, it's part of the add-ons. Live well entertainment. Done. You've got a spot of dancing. Very good. Well done. Oh, Round well done. Everyone. Oh, well yes, done. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, we did talk. We did say, you know, it, it could be a, you know, a slight safety issue or anything like that. But I think, you know, when everything's in the cruise, yeah. um, and, you know, it's not a transatlantic flight where people are trying to sleep, yeah. you know, 
it's I, I think it's a good idea yeah indeed really yeah. Uh, Je- Jenny uh, Jenny Parkinson's just said I try not to fly on stag party flight days yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so basically avoid Fridays I think isn't it that's usually yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> so next story moving on is uh, a very nostalgic story for you Nev this is a good one, and uh, this has been trailed for a little while in the press, but finally uh, the details are available, and it's on the businesstraveller.com website, and it says that uh, BA is to be uh, is going to paint a Boeing 747 in a retro BOAC livery, and BA has announced plans to paint selected aircraft with a series of retro liveries as the carrier celebrates its centenary year in 2019. The first aircraft to receive a commemorative paint job will be a Boeing 747 registration Golf Bravo Yankee Golf uh, Charlie, which will be painted in the 1964 to 74 era British Overseas Airways Corporation livery. BOAC was a direct predecessor of British Airways, having combined with BEA, British European Airways, to form uh, the British Airways brand in 1974. The retro painted aircraft will arrive at Heathrow on February the 18th and will retain the livery until its planned retirement in 2023. That's oh, very wow. good news, isn't it? Um, and the, um, excuse me, the, the BOAC. <clears throat> is the first of a number of retro designs set to be unveiled this year, with BA using it as an opportunity to revisit history of UK commercial aviation in British Airways' centenary year. BA said that the Boeing 747 had been chosen for the BOAC livery, as it is a later variant of the same aircraft that adorned the design when it was initially in operation. The carrier stresses that all new aircraft entering the fleet will sport BA's established Chatham Dockyard design, including the forthcoming A350s, the first of which is due to be delivered to the carrier this year. Details of previous commemorative uh, liveries, including the gold Dove during uh, the London 2012 Olympics as well. I've been on that uh, A319 actually. And uh, commenting on the news, Alex Cruz, uh, British Airways chairman and CEO said, so many British Airways customers and colleagues have fond memories of our previous liveries, regularly sharing their photos from across the globe. So it's incredibly exciting to be reintroducing this classic BOAC design. Our history has shaped who we are today, so our centenary is the perfect moment to revisit our heritage and the UK's aviation landscape through this iconic livery. British Airways traces its history back to August 1919, when Air Craft Transport and Travel Limited launched the world's first daily international air service between London and Paris. Uh, that's incredible, isn't it? Uh, this actual aircraft, um, uh, the 747 that they refer to, Golf Bravo Yankee Golf Charlie, uh, was at Heathrow on Tuesday because I saw it parked up at uh, Terminal ah. 3. But uh, they're flying it over to Dublin, if it's not already there, to uh, do the paintwork on it. So uh, that's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Oh, I, I said to you, Nev, I, I love this BOAC livery. I think it looks, mm. you know, it looks, when you see the pictures from when this was on their, you know, the original aircraft, it looked really good. And I wonder, Nev, whether BA are going to bring out the old Landor livery for uh, oh, yes. a reprint. For I, a I, I have a sneaking feeling they might. 
Because I love that. It was my, See, one I, of my favourites. I think this is a great idea, you know, because obviously sort of when an aircraft has been in service for quite a long time, it's a great way of giving it, giving the plane a bit of a refresh, you know, just giving it, all right, using the retro thing in the Centurion, because they're saying they're going to leave the, leave the colour scheme on there basically until it retires. Um, you know, obviously in the new, any new aircraft that they're buying and come into service, obviously it'll, it'll have the, the current thing on it. But I think this is a great idea. I love anything it's like good. this, I've got to be honest. But it's... Uh, there's been, there's been quite a few airlines now across the globe, including well, uh, in several Europe. Several American, I could say several American have, carriers, I yeah, think Armando Painted is, um, in yeah. retro, old school liveries. Yeah, I, I love seeing, uh, I think American Airlines has their flagship colors uh, on one of their 737s. And it's the same, the exact same paint scheme that is sitting in their uh, training facility at Dallas on their DC-3. Oh, cool. It's just, I just think it's beautiful. It's yeah. all polished uh, aluminum and... Uh, beautiful aircraft. Yeah, uh, Neil Lamborn said in the chat room actually that uh, he thinks that the Landor livery may be going going uh, going on a seven eight seven. So oh, cool. Possibly that would be awesome. That'd be really strange yeah, actually nice, to yeah. see that on that. But no, it's good. I think all a lot of the airlines have done this retro thing. Scandinavian, I know, done one on theirs, and also Lufthansa. Yeah, I think have painted uh, one of their seven four seven dash eights as well in a retro livery. Yeah. So next story, moving on, is uh, one for you, Armando. Yeah, and because uh, here at PTUK we're on the cutting edge of news, uh, I think this uh, may have some actually developments as the show goes along. Mm. The chat room is saying that the uh, government shutdown is temporarily halted, so I guess Easy. temporarily opened. Um, but we'll continue on. This was from a local news outlet in Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. uh, talking about how the TSA is trying to bolster its reserve of backup officers as at the time of this writing, the government shutdown continued. Um, CNN obtained an email from TSA executive that was sent to TSA officials in more than 10 states and more than 100 airports, asking for some employees to move from the airport they usually work at to other uh, there's been a lot of reports of TSA officers calling in sick while temporarily working without pay, which mm -hmm. obviously is a concern for very uh, for many travelers. Um, let's see, a traveler, Linda Allen, said, my biggest concern is getting through security checkpoints and just ensuring that passenger safety is best kept while this government shutdown is going on. But I really do hope it ends soon. And there was a couple other articles that uh, I was looking at, you know, it's not just the TSA, the opposing bases, ATC guys, you know, they're trying to stay away from from uh, political debate, but they're mm -hmm. also working all our ATC controllers are working without pay. And there was a different article about delays in Newark and Philadelphia. I think LaGuardia shut down for a couple hours today because there wasn't enough uh, TSA or ATC controllers. So it's uh, certainly... It was getting to the point where it, it was going to start affecting day-to-day -day operations. So, yeah, now, I mean, uh, you know, I call it naivety on my part, I suppose, but uh, obviously we're aware of the shutdown here in the UK, but I didn't realise until probably about the, the, probably the start of this week, I didn't realise the, the, the shutdown, if you like, was affecting, uh, you know, like what I call, I knew it was a government shutdown, but affecting core services like... Mm. Um, ATC. ATC. Yeah. I mean that. 
the, the fact that those guys are still I mean alright okay some have been phoning him sick etc and I suppose you, you sort of read between the lines there really but the very fact that they've been willing to turn up for work knowing full well that they're not getting paid um, can you imagine that in the UK oh, well I mean <laughs> again maybe this is one of the arguments where the because obviously I, I, I don't know correct me if I'm, I'm speaking wrong here but Nats is essentially a sort of like a privately owned outfit it is, is that private. correct mm. um, yeah. and, and so obviously something like that I would like to think would could never happen because it's sort of been detached from the government. Therefore, if there was a government shutdown, I mean, who knows what's going to happen when? See, I've done quite well. We're thirty-two minutes in, and I've only about to say the word Brexit. <laughs> uh, but well, <laughs> so, so this is kind of a middle ground, right? And without getting into a, a political conversation, yeah. so in the U.S., it is all government. So the yeah. the FAA is part of the Department of Transportation. And that was one of those departments that didn't get their funding yeah. in this bill. Uh, the TSA agents are part of the De Department of Homeland Security, which was also affected by not not signing the basically the budget. Um, so those employees will get will get back pay. That was a bill that was passed yeah. fairly early on in the shutdown. Yeah. However, why I say it's kind of a mix of both is that there are a lot of contractors. So the FAA. Uh, also has a lot of contract employees that are doing just as important jobs, right? Uh, whether it's airman certification, aircraft certification, or just the administration of the administration. Um, yeah. th those employees are not going to get back pay if yeah. they didn't get paid. So it, it's certainly just disruptive to everything. And, uh, you know, and there's plenty of stories out there about the Coast Guard who is actually not under the Department of Defense, even though they're a military service, they fall under Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. So the U.S. Coast Guard was not getting paid. I mean, I, I just, I, 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 I just can't get my head around it. I, 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 it sort of frightens me, really. I mean, you know, and I, I have respect for those who are turning up for work. It's just, uh, oh, yeah. you just don't realize that, you know, what, what sort of effect this is having as i say without wanting to get too political the bottom line is these guys are doing an absolutely vital job and they're not getting paid as you say i mean exactly. they get back pay and all that kind of thing that's fine but that, you know we all have bills to pay and i don't suppose their creditors you know mortgage <laughs> yeah. companies and things like that well, are, we won't take that payment for two months that's no, okay indeed yeah. absolutely what, what, mm. yeah so mind. i guess it's, since this is an aviation podcast the the moral of the story is if you're going through an airport yeah um, you know, and you may have a little bit of a delay because your TSA uh, security screener isn't completely happy. No. It's, it's probably because they're not getting a paycheck. So just be a little bit patient. Yes. And if you get to your airport and your flight is delayed, um, just be a little patient because yeah. those ATC controllers are also working without pay. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. And let's hope well for everyone's sake this comes to uh, an end very, yeah. very shortly. Very shortly. So, moving on. To the next story, and um, this one is on the lfpress.com website. The headline, London Airport lands direct flights to three cities with discount airline. So a low-cost airline coming to London with new direct services to three major Canadian cities could boost the airport's passenger traffic by 40%, officials say. London International Airport is adding three new destinations, Halifax, Edmonton and Abbotsford, and Canada and Greater Vancouver with WestJet's discount airline Swoop. 
A move that could add more than 200,000 travellers a year, said Mike Seabrook, the airport's chief executive. This is the biggest news to happen to the airport, he said, and no one has added as much capacity as we are getting now with Swoop, he said. Swoop will offer daily direct flights from London to the three markets. Fares from London haven't been announced yet, but Swoop also flies from Hamilton, where its flights to Abbotsford start at $159 one way, to Edmonton at $75 and Halifax at $79. The price can spike several hundred dollars depending on day, time and service. Uh, they think it will be successful here in southern Ontario. We have a population of 2.5 million. We can draw from that, he said. Uh, history has shown that when you put direct services in, it expands the catchment area. We can get more people from Chatham, Sarnia, Windsor and Kitchener to come to this airport, he said. Last year, more than 536,000 passengers flew from London, a 3% increase over 2017. But this could move, uh, move could add more than 200,000, nearly a 40% uh, project, uh, projected hike, Seabrook added. Uh, this announcement will get us close uh, to staggering growth for a full year. It could be double uh, our passengers. Swoop will operate Boeing 737-800 aircraft with 189 seats and project, uh, projects it can fly with more than 80% of the seats sold on average. Now the London airport offers daily flights through WestJet to Calgary, Toronto, Orlando, Florida and Air Canada flies from London to Ottawa, Montreal and Toronto. There are also warm weather charters during the winter through Sunwing, Air Transat and WestJet. And you can now get to more destinations in Canada without connecting through Toronto, said Seabrook. Now I think it's safe to say, that looking at the pictures here, that uh, Swoop has certainly got a distinctive livery. It's, it's very uh, pink. And yes. uh, their interior also breathes pinkness i will go. say matt will pop up on the screen now pop so you can see the now yeah that that is quite uh, that, it's very pink <laughs> it is very pink it is very i think pink. swooper um uh, sort of just sort of turning out to be the kind of canadian version of ryanair i think same aircraft um but i don't a, think they'll thank you for color. that comparison well no no <laughs> They'll obviously be far better as an airline. Of course, but, uh, yes, absolutely. But no, no, good on them, good on them. More, more choice for the, uh, for the people in Canada, so that's good. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the independent.co.uk, Matt, and it's obviously another Ryanair story, but another good one. Wow. There we are. There I know. Uh, I'll spoil it this uh, week. Bear with me. I'm being told off for having an ad blocker on, so you'll just have oh. to bear with me while I try and work out why. Uh, <laughs> um. So the story then uh, goes, as Matt sorts his ad blocker out, uh, <laughs> But it says here, buy Ryanair, fly private. That's the promise from Manchester Airport, as it reveals plans for an exclusive terminal. The airport, which is the third busiest in Britain, is planning an experience called Premier. For prices starting at 50 quid, passengers will be able to avoid the busy public areas of the existing terminals. The traveller can park in a secure area, check their bags in, wait in a private lounge and go through a dedicated security channel. Shortly before departure, passengers will be driven straight to their plane in a private transfer car. The service may appeal to premium passengers on long-haul airlines such as Emirates, Singapore Airlines and Cathay Pacific, but it could also be used for a short hop on Ryanair to Dublin or on an easy jet flight to Alicante. The facility could appeal 
to uh, less mobile but well-off passengers, the airport claims. The total walking distance from arriving at the terminal to the aircraft door will be under 20 metres. That's good. That's a very good number, isn't it? Uh, Andrew Harrison, Chief, Chief Executive of Airport Services for Manchester Airports Group, said we hope the services will offer, that the offer will appeal to a wide range of passengers, whether they are travelling for business or want to mark a special occasion or just want to add something different to their experience. He said that they that it could be extended to the group's other airlines, Stansted and uh, uh, East Midlands. Do you know, I didn't realise Stansted and East Midlands were owned by the same people. Um, Ross Powell, Director of Operations for the, for the designer Jacobs, said, We have worked hard with the airport to create a simple yet elegant design uh, utilising natural materials, full height glass and visual connection to the airfield to offer our guest, the guest a warm, relaxing and personalised environment. Manchester Airport claims no other airport in the UK offers as an accessible private terminal option for passengers on a pay-as-you-use basis. Such facilities are often restricted to business class and first class passengers <laughs> or certain airlines typically at significant additional cost. But for many years Heathrow Airport has had a VIP service based at the Windsor Suite. Heathrow VIP is available for only those on first or business class tickets. It yeah. costs £3,300 <laughs> for up to three passengers. The airport tells potential clients Paparazzi are not allowed in the secure area of our suites and photography of any kind is not allowed at Heathrow without a permit. But it warns we cannot guarantee long-distance photographs will not be taken. So basically Manchester then are going to offer this, uh, this terminal as a, as a standalone terminal. Yeah. And you pay... It's a kind of pay-as-you-go terminal. Yeah. So if you, want, if you want to be all looked after and, and poshified yeah. and... Um, so now, I mean, Nev, obviously you don't fly uh, out of Manchester hard... Well, I don't... Have you ever flown oh. out of Manchester? I mean... Well, I, yes, I have, actually. Have uh, you? But only back to Heathrow. I've actually oh, gone right, from okay. anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, uh, as, as, a biz, as a frequent business traveller, frankly, uh, I, I mean, is this something that would appeal to you, the, the having, like, your own private... La or, or is the lounge system that already is enough for you, essentially? Well, it is really, isn't it? But I, yes, I do concede that I'm a bit of an aviation snob, as I've mentioned before. <laughs> no, no, so, no, you're a man of great you know, taste, it, Nev, that's what it is. If it means I haven't got to mix it with a great unwashed thing, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. But actually, I mean, I think that, the, the, honestly, the I've not been to Manchester for a few years now, um, but uh, last time I was there, the, the lounge facilities were certainly okay. Uh, but so uh, yeah, I think if you want to pay a bit extra or a lot extra by the sounds yeah, of things, a lot extra, yeah. uh, and they're going to do something. But uh, I mean, that is an airport that has just expanded massively yeah. uh, over the last ten years. So, Armando, are you uh, a yeah, lover people of the uh, of the lounge airport lounge? Um, well, you know. You just have to fly general aviation. You get this all the time. Well, uh, that is true. Yes, absolutely. You yeah. get the polite coffees and all that kind of thing. It's, yeah, you uh, get coffee. You show up. There's usually a lounge. There's free Wi-Fi. There's somebody to take you out. You know, you can either walk out to the airplane, somebody to take you out. I've even landed places in the U.S. Um, actually, I took Megan down to uh, Destin, Florida. We landed, and they, they showed up with two rental cars, a, a white one and a black one both with the air conditioning running, both had cold waters. And they said, well, they got, and we flew in in a Cessna 172. I said, have your pick. Black or white. Right. Hmm. Yeah. There we go. So there you go, just fly general aviation. 
So perhaps, perhaps Nev, you could uh, employ Armando as your as your private um, uh, That's pilot. A pilot. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I could have him on a bit of a retainer, maybe five dollars a week, something like that. I can only imagine the uniform that Nev would make me wear. <laughs> oh, oh uh. <laughs> yeah. I'm, but what I do at the weekends is my own business. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, so Nev, next story is for you, and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a worrying story if. Um, you own a Samsung phone again. Well, I'm surprised you've given this story to me. Carlos, I know, a bit of a uh, faux pas. This, this, <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, it's on the Aviation Herald, and we like the Aviation Herald very much. And it says that uh, British Airways A380 uh, over, over the Atlantic on uh, January the 21st, 2019, uh, Lion battery suffers thermal runaway, and not for the first time, I would say. Uh, British Airways uh, Airbus A380-800, registration... Golf X-Ray Lima Echo Kilo performing flight BA-208 departing on uh, January 20th from Miami to Heathrow was en route over the Atlantic Ocean when a passenger travelling on the upper deck and carrying his mobile phone, a Samsung Note 4, in a pocket of his shirt, (laughs) uh, felt his smartphone was becoming hot, took it out of his pocket, opened the battery cover and saw the battery catching fire. As you do. The passenger dropped the smartphone and battery onto the floor where the battery burned into the carpet. Thick smoke developed. The passenger poured some coke over the smartphone. Uh, cabin oh. crew quickly is, arrived. Is that, is, that the uh, bat- is, is that the recommended method of putting out a fire with I Coca-Cola? don't think it is. <laughs> Um, but uh, anyway, the cabin crew quickly arrived and put the battery into a bucket of water. Even better, yes. And then secured it uh, in a secure container. The crew continued to London for a safe landing. Uh, the aircraft remained on the ground in London for almost four, uh, nearly five hours, actually, four hours, 50 minutes, then departed uh, f- uh, for flight BA209 to San Francisco. Two passengers uh, reported independently about the occurrence. Each observed different details of the summarising narrative, which we just mentioned. And there's a picture of the damaged carpet. Indeed. Now, yes. uh, we've spoken about thermal runaway battery thingies for <laughs> it seems like a very long time now and you've just got to think yeah. haven't you a, a lot of people have got sometimes two phones on them plus their tablet as well yeah. um and all of these things use that kind of technology battery so packs. i'm sure there are uh, aircraft and crew procedures now to yeah. deal with these sorts of situations mm-hmm. because they could happen couldn't they? my phone's true. on fire grab the gin and tea no, no, no use coke. Excuse me. I'd rather let, I'd <laughs> rather watch my phone go phone go up in smoke than put it out with a gin and tonic. Well, it is an iPhone, Matt. Oh, anyway, boy, excuse me. We don't have that problem. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> uh, Nev, I, I, are you aware of a situation where an iPhone? Anyway, moving on to smoke? the next story. And, uh, <laughs> well, I, let's I, be honest. It, it is it is the battery technology yes, here, is, is yeah, the, yeah. where the where the thing is. And actually, I don't know about you, but um, when I'm charging my iPhone. Uh, with the induction yep. charger thing where you just stick it on there and hot. by the way um the uh, ba lounge at heathrow have now got induction charging facilities so i stuck <laughs> it on there on tuesday but it gets quite warm they do, there's yeah. no two ways about it yeah. and i don't know if uh, yours gets warm as well uh, but, carlos um or, or no, your phone but no, um cool. the um 
yeah stuff can happen and there's yeah. i say i'm sure all the airlines now have got procedures to uh, to deal with this or at least or at least they've they've briefed the crew on, on what the possibilities might be indeed yes before we move on to the next story uh, uh we, we we have a, a small person uh, watching the show so uh our, our, re our relevant well i'll leave you to do it you're better at doing it he's got experience with doing shout outs yeah i know i know so obviously uh you all know jonathan warner and yes. uh his lovely daughter. Uh, I like to refer to him as our resident um, military, military man, yeah. Ramona. Yeah, Ramona. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, a, it, it's safe to say that when you're watching PTUK, it can be a family affair, can as it? we can see right. by the picture that Matt's going to pop up on the screen there. There we go. <laughs> oh. Hi, Chloe. Hello. Hello. So everybody, right. everybody in the chat room, say hello to Chloe, who's watching with her dad, John, long-suffering Jonathan. I know. <laughs> and I, I, can I just point out the VC-10? In the background oh, model yes, there, very nice. nice. Yes. Yeah, Is that one nice. of those grey things again? It, well, it, it's, it's half and half. It's commercial okay. airliner and military. <laughs> so yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yep. So Fair hello enough. to you, Jonathan. Anyway, <laughs> I got I got a chance to meet Chloe down at Bruntingthorpe when uh, Jonathan was down there, and she's such a trooper because. Uh, Jonathan was and his buddies were so focused on the aircraft that honestly she could have just run off and you know bought ice cream or whatever. But uh, excellent. Yes. Uh, she she was an excellent trooper and she was uh, fun to hang out with. Oh, oh there we are. Well, there we well, go. Yes. Well, thank you for watching, Chloe. Much appreciated. Very good. Okay. So uh, Armando, you've uh, got the next story about uh, about flying cars. <laughs> flying cars. Here we go again. Right from 1950 till now. Uh, so from the Star Online, Boeing this time has said that its flying car prototype hovered briefly in the air during the, an inaugural test flight, a small but significant step as the world's largest plane maker bids to revolutionize urban transportation and parcel delivery services. Uh, Boeing is competing with its arch rival Airbus and numerous other firms to introduce small self-flying vehicles capable of vertical takeoff and landing. The investments, fueled by leaps in autonomous technology, as much as frustration with road congestion, could change the face of aerospace industry within the next decade. So Boeing's 30-foot-long or 9-meter aircraft is part helicopter, part drone, part fixed-wing airplane, lifts, uh, lifted off in just a few feet or just a few feet off the ground and made a soft landing after less than a minute of being airborne on Tuesday at an airport in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, this is what revolution looks like, and it's because of autonomy. John Langford, president and CEO of Boeing subsidiary Aurora Flight Services, said in a news release. Um, let's see. Boeing is working with a startup Spark Cognition and the U.S. FAA to develop traffic management system for three-dimensional highways, as well as the regulatory framework that will allow waves of autonomous vehicles to zip safely around buildings, the company has said Boeing bought Manassas-based uh, Aurora Flight Services or Flight Sciences last year to speed the development of a fleet of autonomous air vehicles. With Aurora, uh, Boeing is also working on Uber technologies, uh, Uber Air service for flights that are planned to be available for order via smartphones around 2023. Um, they're looking to achieve about 50 miles two flying car variants capable of carrying two to four passengers each. Uh, tests are planned for later than 500 pounds. Um, but at the same time, competitor Airbus says it has already conducted numerous flying test flight or flying vehicle test flights uh, to Volocopter, 
which has tested drone taxis that resemble a small helicopter powered by 18 rotors. And the last company, Aeromobile, with a stretch limousine concept that can turn into a fixed-wing aircraft. Do you know? So, do you know what these remind me of? These they, they very much remind me, and I, I of a UAV. Yeah, they do. They do <laughs> remind me of a drone so much. The way that the tech, you know, it's almost like they found this method of technology to to make like you know cameras fly and things like that. And they're sort of thinking, oh, but what if we upscale that and put a put a car in it and stuff? I mean, they, it does. It looks so like a. Um, let me pop the picture back up there. Look, it looks very much like a drone, doesn't it? With the with the sort of the the bit sticking out of the side. And, and all that. I mean, it's um, yeah. I don't know quite how would you, you, would use you it on the road. Would you purchase one, Armando? Given the uh, the chance to a flying car. Mm. Oh, jeez. I guess if I was you know one of the first to to buy one, but man, once uh, once uh, New York City gets full of flying oh, cars, point. yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna be out because they just said in the article is you're you're gonna have to fly them on air highways. So, um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'd rather buy a Bonanza and stay at 16,000 yeah. feet away from all these. Oh, We need yeah. the uh, Jetsons music playing in the background. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 The Jetsons? Yeah, oh, it's a bit sorry before your time. Um, <laughs> the Jetsons? No. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. Nev, I'm guessing you're, uh, you're looking forward to seeing a flying banana. <laughs> well, yeah, but... <laughs> I don't know. I, I have. I'm very skeptical about these sorts of things. In the same way that I was about uh, autonomous cars and, and all the rest of it. But stuff does happen, doesn't it? So uh, you never know. But uh, I can imagine that the uh, well, the, the possibilities for catastrophe are, are quite high. I would have thought. Mm. But, uh, but what do I know? Well, so, there, there is that. I suppose <laughs> it's it's uh, it's always an option. I I, I just ah. Oh. I don't know. I mean, part of me kind of likes it, but um, it's the same old story, isn't it? You get these people who are going to be be driving them and, and flying them, and are they going to be qualified to drive them? I mean, I, I, I could just see all these uh, these dangerous things going on. Yeah, that's all I can find. Oh, God. Very good, Mr. Smith. <laughs> what on earth oh, is this? I know, I, know, I know what it is now. Yes. Anyway, oh god, there yeah, we go. Uh, if anybody did, yeah, that know, was there we are. <laughs> that right there, that was pretty much it. That was the the yeah. video from the Boeing test flight last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. And that's, that is, they're literally flying these little pods. So you you think this is the future, do you? I know. <laughs> See, they already had this in the bag back right. in the yeah, in the sixties. Okay. So you you heard it on the Jetsons first, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Right there we are. It's so a from PT one UK exclusive. From one space-aged idea to another with the next story, which is on the standard.co.uk. And, uh, well, this is good. Uh, Nev was in, uh, particularly impressed with this concept. So Gatwick Airport uh, trial <laughs> for yeah. valet... He was really excited about this when we talked about it pre-show. So Ga <laughs> Gatwick Airport are trialling valet parking robots aimed at cutting hassle for travellers. So uh, 
Uh, for many holidaymakers, the prelude to a trip overseas is a frantic scramble for an airport parking space, followed by a departure dash to the departures lounge under a mountain of suitcases. Now, at Gatwick Airport here in the UK, they're introducing a fleet of valet parking robots to ease the stress of getting away and squeeze one-third more vehicles into the same size car park. Under a trial which begins in August this year, travellers will leave their car in a dedicated drop-off zone, summon a droid booked by an app at a touchscreen. As the customers are shuttled to the terminal, the battery-powered robot will pull up to the car, slide a fork-style forklift-style and a ramp under the chassis and use military-grade GPS to ferry it to a secure bay without the need for keys. Mm. The autonomous droids, codenamed Stan, and likened to a robot in Pixar's 2008 movie Wally, scan each vehicle's Wally. size and shape to safely steer them to their destination. And because there is no need for the driver's door to open, they can be parked more tightly together. Each booking is linked to the passenger's flight number to ensure their car is ready to collect from the same location upon their return. The three-month pilot scheme revealed in a planning application to Crawley Council is proposed to begin at the height of the summer getaway using technology developed by French firm Stanley Robotics. Similar systems are being trialled in airports in Paris, Lyon and Dusseldorf as well, but this would be the first time it's been used in the UK. Stephanie Evano, Stanley Robotics co-founder, said that we call it a valet parking robot because people just need to drop off their car at the entrance of the car park and then they can basically leave and catch their flight but it's doing more than just valet parking he said the passenger feedback was overwhelmingly good during a five-month trial at charles de gaulle airport last year where the I system operated so seamlessly <laughs> that customers were not even aware a robot had been involved apart from the dings in the door when they got back. <laughs> they did not understand that their car would not stay in that wide space where they left it. They were just wondering why the car was in another position when they returned, he told the industry website Airport Technology. Gatwick's trial will take place in part of the South Terminal's long-stay car park, where lampposts and 170 spaces will be removed to make way for 270 spots and a robot-friendly surface laid. Nev, I want to talk to you about this one. Now, uh, you're quite <laughs> rightly very, very proud of that delightful banana that you worked very, very hard to earn and own. Uh, how would one feel about a robot parking it for you, uh, taking it to your long stay parking position? Well, I have to say that there, there are some people that have complained about the regular valet parking before <laughs> where their cars come back with dings and dents and all the rest of it. I, I don't use any of that at all. I, uh, I prefer to park it myself. Um, but don't you think this is a problem? This is sorry. This is a solution looking for a problem. I mean, yeah, yeah, build a bigger indeed. car park. I yeah. mean, build another story on the top or yeah. something like that. If people can't park their car or they, I mean, they're trying to squeeze more in. That I do get that. But I just do not understand the purpose of this at all. And I'm sure the technology is great and it all works a treat. But putting forks underneath cars, I mean, there's lots of 
stuff underneath yeah, a that's car. That's a good point. You know, yeah. brake pipes and hydraulic yeah. lines and and all it. I mean, we, we've <laughs> we've all made that mistake when we've been jacking the car up to change a tire and we've accidentally put it on the sill and bent it rather than actually, you know, lifting up yeah, the car. Yeah, if the, the car's right locked, place. then the alarm will go off because yes. there's also a motion sensor yes, as well. So very I'm sure they thought about all of that. But <laughs> I I would love. What I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to when they roll this out at Gatwick, I'm going to take. <laughs> myself and my camera down there i'm gonna do a bit of a documentary i i've got a better idea nev nev Nev, i've got a better idea leave the banana at home and take auntie sue's car i think that's the (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah. i shan't be using my car that's for sure (laughs) yeah absolutely actually lane street is said in the chat room that uh Wally, uh, as Matt kind yeah. of put it there, will be Ubering with your car while you're on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah very good. You know, after, after the last couple of stories, I just feel like, like curmudgeonly, right? I, I wonder if this is what I'm with Nev on this one. What's what's the solution or what's the problem here? Yeah, right? What, why do we? Is this what our grandfathers thought about the Walkman and jet travel and? personal computers it'll never catch you know and we're sitting here just going oh i don't i don't know i don't see a use for it as as each day slowly passes we all slowly become more and more like the old curmudgeon every single day don't we <laughs> captain nick has a lot to answer for doesn't he <laughs> yeah. so i'm guessing by by the general you know consensus here within the, the uh, hosts, hell no it's <laughs> it's not an idea that we uh, all agree with him. I I own the oldest car out of all of us here, my little 07 C Max. Yeah, and not in a million years would I ever leave my poor old rust bucket anywhere near some kind of robot. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see that. I mean, the, the, it must be an incredibly strong unit because I mean, cars aren't light unless they're a smart car, obviously. Mm. But you know, to be able to drive into the car, lift it up with the, the forks. You know, it's, well, that bit's it's, easy because you're just dragging it with, uh, you know, hopefully the steering. But I, it also, like the steering lock will come on, so you're to- you're towing the vehicle like wherever the, you know, like you're towing it on the back wheels and stuff, aren't you? But uh, you know, you've got to be able to get in the car to take the handbrake off. True, that's very true. Yeah, because I mean, it's saying like you don't need the keys and stuff, but you you've it's got to take the handbrake yeah. off. Otherwise, you're going to come back with basically two f- rear flat tires, as in like. They also, a lot flat. of these uh, newer cars have electronic handbrakes. They don't they have do. a regular yeah. mechanical yeah. handbrake, do they? So, so you've still got you've not gained anything because there will still need to be a human involved <laughs> to get the thing. So why doesn't the human just do what he was doing before and well and, and reverse into someone's car and, in the car park. and yeah. reverse into a lamppost? Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving so on. That's good. I like that. <laughs> very good. Um, so next story, moving on, is uh, on. Uh, well, it's on the DevonLive.com website, Matt. It's a bit sad, this. Yeah. Yes, um, but it's all uh, all about an airline that we've been talking about uh, for a while now. But it, it's good news because they're finally getting oh, their um, their their funding as such. Are so they? yeah, right. Because somebody pulled out, didn't they, last week? No, 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 no. This is this has all been going through very swimmingly okay. here with Flybe. So the story. Oh, was it me? For you, oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought it was. No, no. I thought it was you. Uh, there was me busy loading up pictures and all that kind of thing. So, yes, as uh, Carlos says, this is on the Dev. I will pay attention one day, I promise. Uh, Devon Live. <laughs> Indeed, Devon Live is the uh, newspaper. And the headline is, well, there isn't really a headline here other than these flyby issues. Assurances amid worries over its future. So, troubled Exeter-based airline Flybe says it has already received the first £10 million 
pounds in crucial funding as part of its takeover and amid shareholder unrest over the deal. In an update to clarify details of the sale, Flybe sought to assure that it continues to receive payments from its credit card acquirers, which uh, is uh, which it has been vital uh, to its survival. It said the arrangements with the company's credit card acquirers and banks are important to enable Flybe to continue to trade and are conditional themselves upon the SPA. That's the share purchase agreement completing. Uh, the group, which is being bought by a consortium of buyers comprising of Virgin Atlantic, Stobart Group and investment firm Cyrus, is it Cyrus Capital Partners last week overhauled its takeover after the carrier failed crucial financing terms. Uh, Flybe said that it had failed to meet the conditions for receiving a promised £20 million bridge loan under the original takeover deal as credit card banks clamped down amid fears over the airline's financial security. But the consortium of bidders restructured its takeover in a bid to speed up the deal and offer immediate financial support to Flybe with a revised loan of up to £20 million. The buyers will instead pay £2.8 million to take control of the main trading company Flybe and the online arm Flybe.com in a deal set to complete by the 22nd of February while later completing the purchase of the wider holding company for a one pence share or for one pence a share. However, its biggest investor, London-based asset management Hosking Partners, is reportedly considering legal action over the cut price takeover, accusing the company's directors of breaching their obligations to investors. Uh, it is understood Hosk Hosking Partners uh, wrote to Flybe's directors expressing concerns that it had uh, allowed a false market to develop by failing to notify the city of its financial position quickly enough, a letter that was also sent to other city regulators. Flybe confirmed on Thursday that shareholders will not be able to vote on the initial sale of the main trading assets of the airline, but only the one peer share of the remaining holding company. Under the takeover plans, the airline will be combined with Stobart Air in a joint venture called Connect Airways. Uh, so does that mean we're going to lose Flybe as as a carrier then? It's, I think it's they're, they're going to, it's going to be absorbed into yeah. the Virgin Atlantic under the banner as yeah. such. Yeah, because Virgin Atlantic, because wasn't it was it last week or the week before we were, we read a story where Virgin Atlantic were looking to sort of start a regional uh, line and they'd had a couple yeah. of failed attempts well, at yeah, doing it, which so is why they've yeah. you know they've brought. Um, so anyway, Cyrus will own, uh, or Cyrus, sorry, will own forty percent of the new company, while Virgin and Stobart will take thirty percent apiece. Flybe chief executive, chief executive Christine uh, Oras Widener said uh, earlier this month the firm had been forced to seek a buyer due to the higher fuel cost, currency fluctuations, and Brexit uncertainty. Flybe uh, has also agreed with Vueling Airlines to sell its slots at London Gatwick Airport for £4.5 million. Vueling is a subsidiary of British Airways owner IAG. Uh, I won't go on. Uh, you get the idea. But, uh, but it's, it's good because uh, uh, this has obviously helped Flybe out. You know, it, it, it would have been a terrible shame if the airline would have just But I'm just a bit worried that the, the, the name Flybe is going to disappear. If it's going to be, you know, it's going to be replaced with this new. I'm you know, fairly sure that's what's going to happen, isn't it, Nev? With yeah. um, with the airline, it will just be absorbed Sounds under like under the yeah. Virgin yeah. banner as mm -hmm. such, yeah. And Virgin will have a a uh, uh, you know this short haul kind of um, route network, which was obviously originally owned by Flybe. Mm. Nev actually made a very good point um, a few moments ago 
uh, via via a message that uh, I received that uh, if you look at the picture on that story mat of that um, that flyby, uh, that's a is that a, that's a dash eight, isn't it? Q four hundred Nev. Mm, it is, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Nev, you were commenting on a certain um, fitment to that aircraft. Well, clearly, um, they've got the wrong uh, size of wiper blades on it. I mean, it, it cleans the top of the aircraft beautifully. <laughs> but, uh, that is a very not, good not point. Not the windscreen very much. <laughs> Indeed. So if we've got any uh, Dash 8Q400 pilots uh, want, watching the show, uh, we'd like to shed some light on um, the kind of they interesting... a little large for the surface area to which they are wiping, shall we say. Yeah. I mean, do they, do they do they do most of the front of the aircraft as well? <laughs> Perhaps they, think, uh, uh, they just what do out of the uh, the correct part, and they all oh, these Mondeo ones. Will do. We'll just <laughs> there is that. These four uh, Jody, Jody Ruger flew the uh, Q four hundred, so yeah, you could ask her. Yeah, yeah I just looked what? it up, and uh, Flybe's got about twenty, just on, just over twenty three hundred employees, uh, eighty five aircraft, so. Whatever happens with with the merger and the absorption, then you know, just kind of wish all the employees the best. Well, yeah, yeah, very true. Fingers crossed. It, it the impact on jobs will be absolutely minimal. Yes, in good So work. Nev, next story: some uh, good news from Jet Two. Yeah, this is a real surprise to me. Actually, I didn't realise how many aircraft uh, Jet Two operated, but this is on the uh, Yorkshire Evening Post uk, and uh, Jet Two have just taken delivery of their one hundredth aircraft wow. which is a uh, 737-800 it's the final plane in an order of 34 placed by jet 2 to arrive at its uk basis and, and this one's uh, uh, going to be based at uh, leeds bradford airport the um, aircraft seats 189 passengers and it's going to enter services on uh, jet 2's uh, leeds bradford routes within the next few week, uh, weeks after it's been fitted with seats and other furnishings yes quite quite important seats are quite um, handy i jet think certainly so it's worth yeah. having them. Um, Jet2 managed to negotiate a significant discount with Boeing on the quoted price of $3.3 billion for the bulk order. They've been taking delivery of 737-800 since uh, September 2016. The new aircraft will enable Jet2 to expand its operations from Leeds Bradford Airport. It's already announced plans for three new destinations and increased capacity on popular routes this summer. Jet2's CEO Steve Heapy said um, the arrival of the 100th aircraft into our fleet is a momentous occasion and demonstrates the confidence we have in our growing business. Uh, operating a sorry guys I'm getting some horrific um, echo from something else at the moment um, okay anyway I'll carry on uh, operating a fleet on this scale means that we can continue to increase capacity offering holiday makers more choice and flexibility than ever before when it comes to getting to Europe the Canary Islands and the Mediterranean the Boeing 737-800 is part of the successful next-generation 737 family. It's known for its comfort, reliability, fuel efficiency, and advanced engine and wing technology. The aircraft can fly approximately 3,000 nautical miles, up to 900 nautical miles, more than the earlier 737 models, and 175 nautical miles further than uh, competing aircraft. It also consumes 5% less fuel whilst carrying more passengers than competing aircraft. It features the 737 Boeing Sky interior, which includes sculpted sidewalls, a window design that draws passengers' eyes to the window, 
and an open cabin with extra legroom. Well, Jet 2's uh, plans uh, are for three new summer destinations, uh, Crete, Bulgaria and Turkey. And a 16th um, aircraft is to be based at uh, Leeds Bradford, which will add 100,000 more seats uh, during the summer season. Uh, they can have extra flights to Alicante with 20 departures per week, uh, an extension of seasonal flights to Malaga with more capacity at Easter and the October half term. Uh, they have 18 weekly services to the Canary Islands, which is Tenerife, Gran Canaria, Fuerteventura and Lanzarote. Uh, 15 weekly flights to Faro. Uh, sorry, Faro, uh, increased service to Mallorca with 20 weekly flights, and it goes on. They they are really um, expanding the network considerably. But as I said at the beginning, I had no idea that they had a fleet of aircraft which now uh, t is is uh, 100, uh, 100 units. Incredible. Yeah, another thing I didn't realise as well, Nev, I don't know whether you knew that um, Jet 2 were originally um, named or originally called Channel Express. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm, that's right, yes, they were. Yeah, yeah they uh, actually changed the name from Channel Express to Jet 2 in January 2006. But yeah, before then they were called Channel Express. But no, it's right, Jet 2 are becoming uh, an incredibly large uh, and well-branded, uh, well-known airline here in the UK. I've, I'm yet to fly on Jet 2, and I know some people that uh, of what I work with and uh, some people I've spoken to well, at least have Lee, flown. they fly with them yeah, all the time, don't Jet they? Jet yeah. 2, and... Um, Everyone said that they've had really good flights and really good times with Jet 2, so, yeah. yeah so moving on to the last story, then, uh, Armando, this is uh, a special one just for you. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a great human interest story, and uh, I'll read the abridged version for, for the whole story. Go over to Reuters and uh, search for U.S. Airlines tap Army helicopter pilots to ease shortage. Uh, so this is about a particular gentleman, U.S. Army pilot Sean Perez. He spent 10 hours flying an Apache helicopter over Afghanistan, providing gun cover for Special Forces soldiers on the ground as they hunted for high-value targets. Guns and weapons. Returning to his base at dawn, he donned a fresh uniform before shutting himself into a small room to, secu to secure the next stage of his career as a commercial airline pilot. He would win the job in a video interview, that day in August 2017, joining hundreds of other U.S. military helicopter pilots who have taken attractive offers from domestic airlines trying to ease a global pilot shortage. Well, airlines have been forced to more than double starting salaries from $54,000 to $54,000, excluding bonuses, uh, in 2018 from $21,000 a year a decade ago, according to aviation consultant Kit Darby. Uh, Mr. Perez, 38 years old, now flies under the banner of United Express, the regional or a regional under United Airlines, and a strong starting salary with his training costs covered. Uh, Ten U.S. regional carriers are offering helicopter pilots like Perez up to $50,000 to pay for commercial airplane training, and in some cases, signing additional bonus, uh, according to a survey by Reuters. This is the first time... Uh, that a subsidy to get that training quickly, said Brian Simmons, president of Coast Flight Training, which pioneered the so-called rotor transition program for helicopter pilots with American Airlines Group 
uh, and its regional subsidiary Envoy Airlines in San Diego. So a, a, key, a key reason airlines are chasing military pilots is because the new FAA training rules only require them to have 750 hours of additional training, half of the 1,500 hours required of civilians seeking a commercial pilot license. Uh, American Airlines Regional Carrier Envoy said that uh, more than a quarter of its 701 new pilots in 2018 came from military helicopters, compared with 11% in 2017 and 5% in 2016. It plans to hire 626 pilots in 2019, with about a quarter of those expected to come through its rotor program. This is a, a great way to uh, capitalize on those um, disciplined military flyers. Um, but at the same time, you know, the military is also uh, hurting for pilots. So uh, not, the competition shall begin. But then I, I suppose, uh, in fairness, uh, I, I mean, this is a great opportunity for people who, uh, you know, who have left the military and perhaps uh, are interested in a career uh, in commercial aviation. Um, I mean, it's a great way of sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of fast-tracking your way to, to the commercial world of flying. I mean... Is it safe to say, Armando, that a lot of uh, ex, you know, retired military pilots... Uh, fixed wing or, or rotor aircraft part, do they, a lot of them go to the airlines for uh, kind of continuing their career? Yeah, I think a, a lot of them do. Um, usually, you know, so the, the pilot commitment, at least in the Air Force, is um, about 10 years, sometimes 10 to 15 years. I think uh, Captain Bell can probably chime in and, and give me an exact number. But, uh, you know, at, at that time, they have to sort of make a, a decision whether to go out and fly uh, for the airlines or, or any kind of commercial entity or stay in and sort of go in a little bit into the management track um, and then maybe look forward to a, a commercial pilot career after their 20 years of service. So uh, I think it's just a couple decision points and uh, that, that people make throughout their career. Now for the Army guys, this is a great program, uh, Army guys flying helicopters because um, it makes them just a little bit more competitive and, and and honestly, that the the industry is committing funds to this is a huge step towards uh, addressing that pilot shortage. I think a lot of people in the industry have said that's what needs to happen to to uh, you know fulfill this pilot shortage. Mm -hmm. Is the airlines need to start sort of putting up some money. So I think this is a great step. Absolutely, and maybe they could start off for extending it to to the UK military as well, perhaps. You know. Yeah, that's something you don't tend to hear so much of in the UK is pilots retiring from the airlines and move, yeah, retiring I, from the military and, and moving on to airlines. But um. so I, I don't know that this is actually restricted to U.S. military pilots. So I, I, I would have to look into it, but I, oh, I, see. I, yeah. I don't know that there would be any restrictions for. They're, they're just considering their rotary wing time. Yeah, so. mm. yeah, that, 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 that would work. Yeah, I like it. So that brings to a close the military, oh, sorry, military segment, the commercial yeah, news segment yet, yes. for this week. Uh, we have, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, we've got uh, some military news coming up in a bit. We've also got news as well on the air shows we'll be attending this year. But first, coming up next, we have been sent in a segment from Pilot Pip, where this week he's going to be talking to us all about uh, the magnetic effect on uh, aviation. So here it is. Safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. 
Hi everybody, Pip here. In this segment, I'm going to be talking about magnetic pole reversal and how, if it happens, it might affect aviation. In one of my segments from 2018, we looked at something that I, I enjoy, uh, which is astronomy and the stars and the night sky. And we talked about using the night sky and the tools it gives us to find your position on the Earth and to find where North is. Do you remember that? Well, I hope you've had a chance to go out and give it a go yourself to locate the North Star and use an outstretched fist to work out your latitude. Hopefully we'll be returning to that in future segments. But today I want to talk about the other North. Huh? The other North? I hear you say. What do you mean, Pip? Well, as I'm sure you're aware, there are in fact two Norths, which is rather confusing. We have the geographic North Pole, which is that point on the top of the planet, and on the bottom of the planet indeed at the South Pole, about which the planet rotates. That's the geographic North Pole. And when we're talking in terms of navigation and maps, we refer to that as true North. But the other one that we have, and equally importantly, is the magnetic North Pole. And that's much more difficult to define in terms of position, as we're going to see in a second. Now, what do we mean the magnetic North Pole? Going back to um, primary school geography and science lessons, you'll probably recall that the Earth, at the very centre of the Earth, there is a very large iron core, a great big blob of iron metal, essentially. Uh, and surrounding that is a layer of liquid metal that's kind of swirling around and swashing and swishing and sort of sea of liquid metal. And the action of that liquid metal moving around outside of this great big iron ball is that it produces a magnetic field. And like all magnetic fields, it has a north and a south pole. Well, small caveat, not all magnetic fields have a north and a south pole. Most do, those are called dipoles. There are such a thing as monopoles, as a magnetic field with only one pole, but we're not going to talk about that. It's largely theoretical and nothing to do with aviation anyhow. Now, this magnetic pole that surrounds the Earth extends quite some way out into space, and it's an extremely important for life on Earth. Without it, um, there wouldn't be much life on Earth at all. It, it's a shield. It protects us from cosmic radiation, from harmful rays from the sun and from deep space generally and we can see it's there from the way it funnels in electrically charged particles along its magnetic flux lines and creates the northern lights also known as the aurora borealis or the aurora australis in the south pole of course earth is not the only planet to have a strong magnetic field both saturn jupiter have them. Um, Mars, however, does not have one at all. Mars is a very dead, inhospitable place. Mars's molten core solidified a long time ago, and it's now a cold, dead world bombarded with harmful radiation. So we should be very thankful for our magnetic field because it protects us and allows life to flourish. It's also rather handy for navigation, as we know from our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, we're all familiar with a, a simple compass. One end of it points towards the north, towards the North Pole, and the other end points to the south. And using that simple information, we can start to navigate our way across the globe. 
Now, aircraft have got a couple of different types of compass. We've got the basic uh, magnetic compass, which is, as, as I just described, it's a very basic thing. It points to north. It's usually suspended in a, a liquid-filled ball. It floats around there, so it's kind of subject to various turning errors, and uh, it's prone to acceleration errors. But it's a good a standby instrument. Um, but we also use something called a magnetic flux gate or a magnetometer. These are usually located out on the wing tips, far away from any source of uh, magnetic interference from the engines or the undercarriage, for example. And this just detects uh, the magnetic field as it travels through it, and it relays that information back to the aircraft's AHAR system, for instance, its uh, attitude and heading reference system. It may also be fed into other aircraft systems, GPS systems, basic flight control systems as well. But that's a good, a steady source of magnetic information that's not really prone to any errors that the, the basic standby compass is. But one of the problems that we have to contend with is that the magnetic field around the Earth generated from the core, it's not totally static. It doesn't stay the same for long periods of time. In fact, it's changing all the time. On a day-to-day -day basis, these changes will be so minute uh, as to be barely noticeable. But over longer periods of time, months, years, decades even, it does change. And we need to account for that and keep up with it to maintain accurate navigation information. So how does it change? Put simply, it wanders. It's been known for a long time that our north and south poles are slowly changing position. When we first started taking direct readings of the magnetic north pole, 100, maybe a little more years ago, 120 years ago, it was located uh, in northern Canada. But since then, it's actually moved northwards by about 680-odd miles. So call it roughly about five miles a year it's been moving. And it's generally a predictable thing. We can account for that in navigation by applying something called magnetic variation. We know roughly uh, how much the North Pole is moving every year, so we can apply that correction to our navigation. And depending on where you are on the Earth, that could be a matter of just one degree, or it could be 10 or more degrees. It all depends on that angular difference of your position to the North Pole at the time. So that's something we've known about for a long time. What we've also known about for a long time is that throughout the Earth's history, the magnetic poles have in fact reversed themselves. So north has become south and south has become north. In fact, it's happened probably something in the order of 200 times that we can tell. And how can we tell this? Well, it's imprinted in uh, rock samples. Geologists can quite readily read um, magnetic signatures from rocks. And since rocks are, are generally pretty old, millions to tens of millions, even billions of years old, we've got a, a virtual history book of magnetic fields throughout the ages just by looking at rocks. And it seems that on average that the Earth's magnetic pole reverses itself every approximately 300,000 years. Although, interestingly, it's been, since the last one, nearly 800,000 years. So we are kind of due another magnetic reversal. 
and many scientists believe that there's pretty good evidence to suggest that that's actually occurring right now. I said that on average the magnetic poles had been wandering by about five-ish miles per year, but in fact in recent years they've been moving by as much as 25 miles per year. So for some reason they've accelerated uh, markedly. There's also been uh, an increase in the size of something called the South Atlantic Anomaly. And this is a magnetic anomaly located, funnily enough, over the South Atlantic. It's basically an area where the Earth's magnetic field dips down much lower than it otherwise would. And this area seems to have been increasing over the past few decades. And scientists attribute this to a general weakening of the magnetic field, which again could be evidence that the poles are slowly reversing themselves. But do we need to panic? Well, probably not. Magnetic pole reversal isn't something that happens overnight. In fact, it takes from anything between a few hundred years at its quickest to maybe up to 10,000 years to occur. So this is very, in human terms at least, a very slow process. So there, there is evidence out there that suggests that past magnetic pole reversals have taken place within almost human lifetimes, within a hundred years or so. But even that, I think, would be quite manageable. We're probably all familiar with some very terrible Hollywood movies, disaster movies, which depict the Earth's environment changing within a few hours and catastrophe ensues. Well, it won't be like that. But at the same time, we can't ignore it because there are some consequences that we need to think about. And one of the most obvious that we already have to contend with is that every so often, every few decades perhaps, we have to redesignate our runways. We know that on the end of each runway we have some large numbers painted in white, and this is the magnetic direction of the runway. Okay, very useful information to know for a pilot. But as the Earth's magnetic poles are moving, that number becomes less and less coincident with the its actual true magnetic heading. So, there's a couple of things we could do. We could rip up the runway and relay it so it continues to match the magnetic heading that it was designated as, but that's a bit of a faff. So, more simply, we can just rub those numbers out and paint new ones. Quite recently at Geneva Airport, which is somewhere I go a lot, they redesignated their runway 23 to runway 22. Here in Europe, uh, magnetic variation and the amount of magnetic change every year is pretty small, two or three degrees generally. But in other parts of the world, it can be much more than that, and so runways have to be redesignated much more frequently. Now, I mentioned that it seems that the magnetic fields uh, may be weakening. This may be a you know a consequence of the gradual reversing of the poles. Again, in itself, it's nothing too much to worry about, but as we look back through Earth's history, we can see periods of time where the Earth's magnetic field, that protective shield around the Earth, has been as much as 90% weaker than it is now. And that may be some cause for concern, particularly over longer periods of time, if that uh, magnetic field is much, much weaker than the amount of harmful radiation getting through to the surface of the Earth will be much greater. It would also mean that aircraft flying high up in the stratosphere are more susceptible to cosmic radiation. 
It's something we already have to monitor, particularly over the polar routes, where cosmic radiation tends to be more intense anyhow. But if the Earth's magnetic field overall was weaker, then cosmic radiation dangers might become more of a concern to us. It may also mean, in the longer term, that we need to consider the protection we give to our GPS satellites, communication satellites, as they orbit the Earth. They're, of course, very much subject to cosmic radiation, to solar flares, which can fry the electronics. You know, these are very highly charged particles coming in uh, off the sun. So satellites need to be electronically protected from solar radiation and without the benefit of the Earth's natural protection then possibly we'll have to beef that shielding up a little bit. But on the whole I think we'll be okay. You know these processes are very slow taking thousands and thousands of years on average so I doubt that it will be a problem for us to keep up with those changes. So the takeaway message is if and when the magnetic poles do reverse themselves, well, don't panic. We're going to get through it. That's all for now. This is Pilot Pip saying, fly safe. I guess you don't really kind of think of it that much when you're, um, you know, doing the flying kind of stuff and that, about how much that does affect aviation i know i know, I know the uh, obviously the, the runway numbers change and stuff over the course of time armando what are your uh, thoughts on that subject yeah no that's exactly what i was thinking too is uh, when you pull up a chart or an approach plate and you're like wait a minute that that doesn't match the the numbers on the runway uh, <laughs> that's that's really the only time you ever think about uh, magnetic declination and the poles changing <laughs> yeah because i know that every every year they release i think they release a new charts don't they in the uk the uh, the maps and stuff and obviously the that they have the um i forget which it is now there's a specific line isn't it that changes uh magnetic the difference i, I think it's the declination yeah changes and that's why they obviously release new maps every year so that we don't fly off course. Oh, wow. But, um, I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm not going to lie. Yes. I oh, know, it's all very technical, isn't it? Yeah, well, and also it's uh, not my Science. area of expertise, let's be honest. But, that, but, that's, <laughs> but that's why, like, posh pilots have these Garmins and, uh, and Sky Demon and stuff. Yeah, true. Because then you haven't got to worry about anything like that because it's all yeah. in front of you on a tablet or a, a, an iPad or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is true. So thanks for that, Pip. As always, sterling work from you, bringing us uh, another segment. Are oh, these two on the trot now? I eh? know that's two in two, honestly, two weeks. Honestly, outrageous. Pip, Pip's doing incredibly well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, hopefully Pip's going to um, bring us a segment soon uh, on crew resource management and uh, stuff like that. So he's going to hopefully have that for Ooh, us next week. So very exciting. So uh, up next, uh, or, well, I, I suppose really we should let Armando introduce this. So uh, <laughs> we'll hand things over to Armando. <laughs> well, hopefully it's it's going to go smoothly. Yes, yeah, so up, up next is uh, our military news for the week. Is everyone ready? Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I may have got it wrong. Okay, we'll try that. Here we go. Yes, I'm ready now. Yeah, here we go. Let's go. So what's the first story this week, Armando? 
All right. So this is a story where hopefully all these uh, transatlantic airlines are going to make some money as we all book tickets to Washington, D.C., because uh, the arsenal of democracy flyovers was for May 8, 2020. Um, it'll see another mass fly past of Washington, D.C., uh, marking the 75th anniversary for the end of World War II, just over a year away in May of 2020. Uh, the event will closely model itself on the similar and highly successful Arsenal of Democracy flyover, which took place on May 8, 2015, to mark the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. Uh, so many of the same entities, uh, same personnel, will be involved in organizing and executing this major flypast of the nation's capital. However, unlike last time, there will also be special celebrations at Pearl Harbor uh, from August 29th through September 2nd, 2020, to commemorate the cessation of hostilities in the Pacific Theater as well. So the event in Washington, D.C. is going to consist of a vast assortment of U.S. and allied World War II aircraft flying overhead in 24 separate historically sequenced warbird formations. Uh, the formations will represent the war's major battles, from the Battle of Britain to the final air assault on Japan, and conclude with a missing man formation. Nearly 100 vintage warbirds of various types are expected to participate. Uh, aircraft are being provided by multiple organizations and individuals whose mission it is to preserve these historic aircraft in flying condition. Some of the historical aircraft expected to participate include the P-40 War, uh, Warhawk, the P-39 Air Cobras, P-38 Lightnings, P-51 Mustangs, B-47 Thunderbolts, F-4 Corsairs, B-25 Mitchells, B-17 Flying Fortresses, Lancasters, Spitfires, Hurricanes, and many others. Among the many combat veteran World War II aircraft participating, a special formation of C-47 aircraft will fly over the new memorial led by the C-47 uh, C named That's All, Brother. Uh, our flyover down the National Mall on May 8th will be the most visible event of the weekend. But we also have scheduled a number of supporting events, including a gala dinner on the evening of Thursday, May 7th, a static display of the participating aircraft at the Manassas and Culpeper airports on the days preceding the flyover, and a similar display of some of the participating aircraft on the day following the flyover, said ICAST President and CEO John Kudehi. Um, this is a nice article, and for more information, you can go just Google the Arsenal of Democracy flyover, and uh, the website is www.www2flyover.org. Um, and any members of the media should contact the uh, GAMA, which is, I think, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association at, uh, well, there's a phone number down there in the store. You can probably just Google it. This is awesome. I can't wait. I'll probably be there. Um, it's just a few hours drive from Charlotte, so can't uh, wait to see cool. this. So we'll have our man on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. in other words, yeah. <laughs> in the field can't. reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, I've got to say, Armando, this is looking pretty damn good. That uh, it'd be good to uh, have some uh, footage and uh, some video from this uh, when it happens next year. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to the next story, and this one is on the BreakingDefense.com website, and the headline, No Light Attack Planes Anytime Soon, Air Force Undersecretary. 
So the Air Force won't issue a request for information on possible light attack aircraft originally scheduled to come out in December in favour of doing a lot more experiments, Air Force Undersecretary Matt Donovan told reporters this week. The service has been dithering over a decade about whether to buy propeller-driven aircraft for an affordable close air support in counterinsurgencies where the absence of enemy fighters and anti-aircraft missiles means fighter jets are often overkill. He said, I wouldn't expect an RFI anytime soon, Donovan told us. He said the service would broaden the scope of the experiment a little bit. The key to this policy change may be allies who've hoped for a cheaper plane to use for counter-terrorism and counter-insurgency operations. If the US buys the plane and allies do too, the price falls for everybody. While he didn't expand on what the allies have said, he said it uh, seems clear the various allies who observed the experiments told the Air Force the planes and weapons so far tested just didn't quite provide what they were looking for. It's also possible that there is a debate within the Pentagon about whether a Special Operations Command of the Air Force should buy and fly the planes. A year ago, the Air Force Secretary Heather Wilson uh, announced that the service had placed a $2.4 billion placeholder on, uh, in the 2019 budget to buy light attack aircraft over the next five years. But Donovan's comments this morning appeared to make it unlikely that we'll see much in the budget or that it may not be unveiled next month. The service did not plan to buy planes in 2019 but rather work with allies to buy, build concepts of operations and assess the number of planes both allies and the United States should buy. Then the service would nail down to uh, how many uh, to buy and when to buy them, uh, Wilson told the page on last, uh, last February. The Air Force had decided to forgo spending $100 million on combat experiment in 2019 and further test Tektron's AT-6 and the Sierra Nevada Embraer A-29. Long time breaking defense readers will recall this has been going on since 2011. And uh, Donovan mentioned during the talk with the Air Force Association headquarters that the release of the 2020 budget request may be delayed due to the government shutdown. No details were forthcoming since no one knows what or will won't happen in the increasingly chaotic Washington. Now I saw some of these light um, attack aircraft, the one of the Textron aircraft at the Dubai Air Show uh, when I was there a few years ago, and um, it uh, I mean it looked bloody good I will say mm. uh, and obviously it's uh, a lot more uh, cheaper to run than uh, than obviously jet powered uh, fighter jets what do you think Armando yeah absolutely this is you know this is a, a very smart move on behalf of not just the US Air Force but all of those partner nations that are uh, mentioned in the article that are looking to sign up to produce these aircraft I think both the T6 and the uh, eight and the Super Tucano I think they're both you know proven aircraft they've been uh, primarily training aircraft but uh, uh, I think uh, Captain Jeff in the chat room can attest uh, I think it was the T-37s back in the day the tweet uh, made an excellent uh, light attack aircraft back then so it was a Cessna airplane it turned it into the A-37 I think it was Dragonfly and they loaded a bunch of weapons on it and it and was so um yeah i i can't wait now it's been going on for a while as it says but uh one of the more exciting ones that i saw was a uh, sort of a crop duster so an agriculture aircraft that's the one that I'm they saying. turn mm. into a light attack role yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think yeah. it was at the air show and yeah you can take the wings off of it fix exactly. it to yeah, a, that's a the one container yeah and was, they, they uh, had i think 
Omex was producing it. That's the one. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're great airplanes, great concept. Uh, we just got to get through the sort of acquisition process and uh, and uh, see what comes out at the end. Mm. So, next story, Matt. Uh, yeah. It's a story for you, okay. uh, specially chosen for you, and uh, looking okay. forward to hearing uh, this story from you. Right, thank you. This is on the popularmechanics.com website, and the headline is, This new device helps fighter pilots pee at 30,000 feet. Bathroom breaks in fighter jets just got a whole lot easier. Fighter and other tactical aircraft pilots are getting a new device that will help uh, that will make urinating and flying a lot a lot easier a task. Uh, the aircrew mission extender device that's a an unusual name for it. The aircrew mission extender device uh, now being fielded by the U.S. Air Force replaces the previous method of peeing into a bag. An awkward experience at best with a wearable device that detects urine and flushes it into a bag for storage. The call of nature has been a problem for uh, pilots ever since the early days of flight. The original method was simply to hold one's pee, which can be extremely uncomfortable and distracting. Another is avoiding drinking water before and during a flight, a method which can cause headaches and stress and lowers the body's tolerance to high G-forces. Many older planes included a relief tube for pilots, uh, which uh, when flushed the urine outside of the, uh, which when flushed, uh, it put the urine outside of the aircraft. Peeing into a tube doesn't often doesn't work for uh, everyone for some obvious physical reasons. Uh, so for today's pilot, uh, fighter pilots, urinate into piddle packs, uh, plastic bags that convert urine into a gel for disposal, uh, but the method involves partially undressing while sitting strapped in a tiny cockpit and flying a multi-million dollar jet. It's awkward. It is as awkward as it sounds. The Air Force's uh, new aircrew mission extender device, or is it <laughs> AMXD Max for short, uh, could finally be the solution to the P problem. Unlike the old system, the AMXD Max. Am I saying that right, Armando? What am I supposed to do? What this is it? Is <laughs> well, it... I couldn't tell you how it's pronounced. No, okay, all right. <laughs> so we'll say the M, mainly because AMXD is in capital letters and then the word I... Max is in lower. So we'll say AMXD Max. Well, I think it would only be appropriate just to call it the extender. The extender, <laughs> right. Okay, <laughs> that opens a whole can of worms. Uh, anyway, the AMXD Max doesn't involve undressing in the cockpit. The device looks like a black pair of tight-fitting boxer shorts concealing either a cup or a pad, according to military.com. The new devices are hands-free, battery-operated, and worn underneath uniforms. Once the AMXD Max automatically detects urine, it pumps it into a collection bag. Because urine is nasty, sensors detect the urine within a second and rapidly pump it into a 1.7 quart, that's 6.8 cups, collection bag. The pilot doesn't do anything other than release their bladder. The Air Force has fielded 600 devices so far with another 1,500 on order. I mean, actually, it's not something I'd even thought about. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's not something that even enters into my head, the fact that they might actually need to go in the air. I mean, I mean Armando, you, you obviously you work in the Force and, and you obviously, you know, you fly on a, or flew on a regular basis. Um you know what was the preferred method of um yeah period. well i i personally had access to piddle packs so i used those um 
However, like, like if, even if you go over to the museum in Duxford, uh, so this is this has been a problem since a since we started flying, and you look at the very um, creative devices that were uh, uh, put into place or, or fielded in some of the aircraft in that museum. So just ask the docents as they're taking you around and be like, how how did they take care of uh, their uh, physiological needs? And uh, they'll be happy to point them point them out. So. It, there, this company has a very educational video on how to use this system, so you can just pop over to their website and. <laughs> uh, I should ju and I just. I should. See. I'd like to say here, Armando, that actually Lara says uh, she's covering my ears. I want to remain in honeymoon <laughs> phase, please. Uh, obviously, many sh many illusions are currently being shattered. I think. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not just a problem for fighter pilots. I think anybody that flies a you know a small general aviation yeah. aircraft, mm -hmm. um, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of the aircraft have fuel ranges that are, you know, just fine. They'll be they'll fly for six, seven hours. Mm. However, the pilot, uh, the pilot range is only about three hours. <laughs> so I, I think they could probably sell a lot of these on the, uh, on uh, the uh, civilian sector. Mr. Bounds added in the chat room here. I'm surprised that Dyson haven't developed their own version. Um, <laughs> 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 I mean, I mean, he's very good at coming up with devices like that, isn't he, Nev? I mean, he, he invents things you didn't think you needed. Well, I just wonder with his new, you know, Singapore operation he's he's doing now. I wonder if he's got a sort of military-grade version right, of yeah. the uh, domestic. <laughs> Indeed, item. exactly. I I couldn't agree more. I think that's I think that's the way forward. Actually, Nev, yeah, when you main, yeah, main man Micah in the in the chat room says so, seven thirty-seven Max passengers can also use this since they can't fit into the lab. Oh, oh. <laughs> I certainly couldn't. I know that much. Yeah. And I was going to say, Nev, you you travelled to the the summer flying barbecue last year, obviously. Um, and you know you had a, a reasonably lengthy flight. I'm guessing you just held on. Well, it was. I mean, it was only uh, 50 minutes from uh, my local GA airfield here at Wickham to uh, Ruffham. Um, and uh, well, frankly, if you can't hold it for 50 minutes, then you know you're in the wrong uh, mode of transport. Right? Well, uh, that. But, um, the, I I was actually I did make sure I went. <laughs> Or I, uh, before I flew with uh, Al, because you know, well, you never know what uh, how long the flight is going to be, really. So, uh, you know. yeah, it's um, a, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and you, you can you can always rely on on Al to do something unexpected, can't you? I mean, that's, oh that's, yes, that, that, no, this is it. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about that at all. Yeah. Anyway, before we hit number two, let's go on to the next oh, story. Dear. And <laughs> the last uh, story, Nev. Phenomenal. I know. <laughs> The last story, Nev, in the military segment. Yes. Please. Well, this is all about the uh, A4AR fighting hawks. And whilst Argentina's models are amongst the last examples of the Skyhawk in active military service, they continue to support frontline roles and played an important part in air policing for the G20 summit in Buenos Aires in November 2018. Uh, once the mainstay of U.S. Navy and Marine light attack, the diminutive uh, Douglas A-4 Skyhawk only remains in operational military service with the Latin America, uh, American uh, air arms of Argentina and Brazil. Almost 65 years after the type's maiden flight, the uh, Argentine Air Force is in the twilight of a long um, relationship with the scooter, as it's called, uh, with its first 12 A4Bs from a batch of 50 arriving in South America 
uh, on October the 30th, 1966. It marked the start of what is now a 53-year career in Argentina for the Skyhawk. The original A4Bs and A4 and 25A4Cs that joined them in 1975 were all retired on March the 15th, 1999, having been superseded two years earlier by 32A4AR and 4 OA4AR fighting hawks. Uh, these were the most advanced Skyhawks of their time, heavily upgraded um, former US Marine Corps A4M and OA4Ms that have been supplied from surplus stocks. Uh, today, uh, since Argentina's Mirages were withdrawn in November 2015, they form the backbone of Argentina's neglected combat air fleet. So uh, it, what always amazes me, Amanda, about um, military grade uh, aircraft is the length of service they end up doing. Mm, uh, absolutely mm. incredible. I mean, I know obviously they don't fly anywhere near as many hours as you know, commercial airlines, for example, but uh, they, the military always get uh, you know, a lot of Money's hours, or, sorry, a lot of years yeah. out of these aircraft, don't they? Yeah, I think, you know, the last week we were talking about the KC-135 is probably going to be the first aircraft to hit 100 years in service um, for any military. So I, I just looked it up, and the uh, the boneyard out at Davis-Monthan has 148 A4 Skyhawks sitting in there. Because I was thinking, man, it must cost so much money. Where are they getting the parts if Argentina is the only country flying these? But but I guess there's 148 of them that they can get parts from sitting in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I suppose you you got uh, yes, plenty of spares available to you if they're, if, if they're the only people flying them. I guess. And they are. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that's on my on my bucket list is to go to one of those boneyards. Is it? And see, yeah, see yeah. the aircraft and that you know the the, the big not just the military but also the commercial aviation boneyards that are over in the states. That is definitely up there in my top five of places mm. i want to go to in Indeed. the u.s yeah uh, actually i should just say that we didn't mention it at the top of the show but uh, those of you who watch on youtube will know that we now have a what they call a green screen behind us and uh, tonight's photograph actually was very kindly sent to us by uh well one day i'm sure he will be a sir uh, nick anderson uh so thank you very much to captain nick for sending us some fantastic photos this is uh, this one oh, obviously those, is those nice ba tales well this there. is it oh, yeah I'm, especially I'm surprised that that uh, he would have taken that photo actually indeed uh, carlos what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> the child is playing uh, honestly but uh, yes no thank you very much uh, and if you would like to uh, uh, send in your own backdrops uh, then please send them to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com that's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com just email us your high resolution photograph and we'll use it on our backdrop behind yeah. us yeah. we'll give you a name check and everything and yeah famous we're nice for, like that yeah. famous for a two hour show like yeah that. right <laughs> infamous I think infamous. yeah uh, uh, thank so, you as always Armando that, that was uh, great it's, that, these are these in danger of being interesting. I know it's always it's always good to have uh, <laughs> have Armando take the reins yeah, for the military yeah. segment. So thanks again for that, Absolutely. Armando. Uh, we, we have we have mu we have many plans for the military segment that we're going to yes. discuss with Armando afterwards. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to start to wrap up the show, but we are going to have a chat then because we did obviously have our big PTUK annual get together sort of board meeting. Uh, last mm. week, where we discussed, oh, really? what we were, were you bored? Oh, I am no, I sorry, bored I, I was all, having no. a lovely time. I don't know about you, <laughs> <Ed, but laughs> where we we drank many cups of coffee and tea, and well, we just drank and 
Alcoholic tea, is Talk that what it's called tea. now, is it? Right. And discussed various uh, things that we're going to do with the show, one of which was what air shows we are going to be visiting mm. this year in yep. the UK and across the world. And uh, so if you've got your pens and pencils handy, for those of you who uh, might want to come and see us at some of the air shows that we're going to be at this year, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll start us off. So we're uh, we're going to be one, the first one on the list for this year uh, will be the Shuttleworth pr- uh, season premiere air show. Uh, that's on Sunday, May the fifth. Uh, that is that's a Shuttleworth season premiere air show. So uh, what's after that, Nev? Uh, next up is the uh, Duxford Air Festival on looking Sunday the 26th mm. of May, which uh, I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, we had, we had a great uh, time at Duxford uh, last year, didn't we? Really good. So what's on the third on the list, Matt? Uh, yes, uh, number three is the Aero Expo UK 2019. I think, Nev, you're going to that one, I think, on Saturday yes, the 15th says, of June. Yes, uh, Open brackets, Nev, close brackets, indicating yeah. that I have to do something. Right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Indeed. Like, turn up, preferably. Yeah. And uh, I think that, yes, that's at the, uh, the Wickham Air Park. Uh, so that's my local GA field uh, just down the road from me. And so, uh, yes, I'll be going down there with my camera and microphone and doing some mm. interviews at the Aero Expo. So, Armando, what's uh, the fourth one on the list and probably one of the biggest ones for the year? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about this one too. It's uh, it'll be Riyadh, the Royal yeah. International Air Tattoo down at RAF Fairford. Yeah, that one's going to be a good one. That's uh, yeah. we, as I say, we didn't do that last year, did we? We so didn't. No, we skipped nice a year last year. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, we are hoping to all be there on Saturday, the 20th, 20th. of yeah. July. So that's all. All of us will be there uh, on Saturday, the 20th. So hopefully, if some of you guys and girls can be. Uh, at Riyadh uh, this year, we'll, mm. we'll see you there. I'm sure Jonathan Warner will be there with oh, I dare say bells and whistles. And yeah. uh, so the next one after that will be the Biggin Hill Festival mm. of Flight. That's uh, will be there on Sunday, the 18th of August. Uh, and that's Biggin Hill. That's just outside London. That's also a, quite a big air show here in the UK. Really looking forward to that air show. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll all be there. Uh, so hopefully, we'll see some of you guys and girls there. Uh, Nev, uh, we've also got another one which is a bit further away from the UK towards the end of the year, haven't we? Yes, it is. And uh, we're going to the sandpit for the Dubai Air Show 2019. And that is between the 17th and 20th of November. So whilst everybody back in the UK is freezing cold, uh, Carlos and I will be... uh, Applying the factor fifty, <laughs> I dare say, so, uh, uh, yes, and avoiding the sandstorms, no doubt. Yeah. But also, we are very lucky indeed, obviously, to have Armando on the team, and Armando is going to be covering some of the air shows in the US that we can't get to and attend. So, Armando, run us through where you will be this year uh, flying the PTUK flag. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm super excited and proud of you guys for for uh, growing six events in, in the UK. That's that's awesome. Well, it's five in the in the UK and then a Dubai Air Show. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have uh, my PTUK shirt on and uh, a microphone and hopefully a video camera both at Oshkosh. So the EAA Air Venture at Oshkosh from uh, July 21st to July 28th of this year as well as the Reno Air Races. Uh, that'll be out in oh, Reno, wow. Nevada at the Stead Airport uh, from September 9th through the 16th of 2019. Very cool. 
It's going to be good, isn't it? And Nev, actually, while we're talking about meetups, uh, you and I are going to be London in, uh, going to be in London in February together, aren't we? And um, I've forgotten the date now. You, you're quite good at this stuff. Yes, I know. I'm glad you gave me plenty of advance notice for that. Uh, so don't worry, I will no. just consult. I know it's my, in February, but uh, yes, it is in February, and it's on the Thursday, the 28th of February, yep. at the Excel Centre in London. Yeah, uh, Matt and I are going to the Broadcast Video Expo. Will yep. be lots of stuff there. Which basically means I shall be dribbling. Like. Yeah, <laughs> I shall be dribbling yes. for for about six hours wandering around the Excel. Mm. But, uh, if but anybody it does is... mean we'll be in the London area, both yep. of us. So if anyone fancies a get together, a bit of food, yep. drink, and a bit of a chat, uh, we'll be around yep. Excel during the day. And if anyone wants to meet up uh, later on, we can make ourselves available somewhere. Indeed, yeah. So, and uh, if anybody actually going thing. back to the military, if anybody has. Uh, any um, stories that they'd like to uh, contribute in regards to the uh, military. Uh, Armando now has his very own email address. It is armando at plaintalkinguk.com. That's armando <laughs> at plaintalkinguk.com. No, you really do, Armando. Yeah, you know, you really do. Uh, and uh, yeah, so anything military related, uh, anything that you've uh, picked up, as I say, and then the same for, for here, obviously, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com um, for commercial stories and that. Please do get your links in. I know we have loads of listeners who send us links on a regular basis and, and they really do help uh, to make sure that we're, that we're picking up the stories that you guys want us to uh, to read out so uh, yeah so a few points from the chat room chris griggs has said that he's apparently he's got a voucher for the shuttleworth uh, one for his birthday Very so hopefully good. chris will get to meet you yeah. at the shuttleworth uh, premiere show there so that'll be good yeah and also uh, tony s has asked in the chat room uh, can the public visit the dubai Air show unfortunately the Dubai Air Show is only open to media people and people with lots and lots and lots of money who are purchasing Aeroplanes. vast quantities yeah. of aircraft. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you're wanting yeah. to buy an aeroplane, the answer is yes. Yeah. So, um, that, uh, um, yeah. It, I mean, it's a great. Don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic air show, but it is just open to, uh, to like I said, the media yeah. and people with lots of money. Mm. But we uh, hopefully, me and Nev, intend thoroughly on uh, getting a heck of a lot of content uh, on video and stuff uh, this year so you guys can have a real yeah. good uh, view of just what the air show uh, offers yeah unfortunately boys and girls our two hours are up so uh, we just do the media social media links nev uh, how do they get in touch with the show yes well the best way to do that uh, you can use twitter if you want to which is uh, at plain talking uk uh, on uh, Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. And of course, you can send us your emails to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. He's so good. Look, you throw him in at the deep end and he goes right in there. And we've on, on Instagram too, aren't we? We oh, are. Yes, yes, that's that. true. Yes, absolutely. Mm, yeah. uh, yes, Carlos is in charge of that. So uh, brace yourselves for spelling and all sorts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we can't leave Matt in charge, honestly. He's too no. busy sorting out the green screen. Well, there is that. It keeps, <laughs> keeps me on my toes, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, find us on, on Instagram. And don't forget, we are on Twitter and all yeah, that sort of absolutely. stuff as well. Website I'm still waking up, working on, but you can send us a... Uh, you can fill in a contact form if you need to get in touch with the show, and that is uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com. 
And also take yourselves to our website where you can treat yourself to a T-shirt. Not yet, you can't. Well, not at the minute. <laughs> Matt's in the process of sorting that out. Yeah. But when Matt's sorted out the website, yeah, you will right. be able to get yourself a T-shirt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but actually, yes, at the good. moment, we're, we're currently having uh, some T-shirts printed we are. and embroidered. So they'll hopefully be ready in the next few weeks. Mm. So uh, that'll probably coincide with when Matt will kind of throw the website into its full uh, entirety, I yeah. think. Mugs but, yeah. will be available then as yeah. well, I'm pleased to say. So uh, we're going to anyway, say a huge thank you to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room tonight. Thanks to all the PTUK family for joining us. And also not forgetting as well everyone who downloads the show via the mm -hmm. usual podcasty, downloady type apps online. Thanks to you guys and girls. <laughs> Indeed. Very technical. Well done. So <laughs> from me, Carlos, here in the PTUK studios, have a fantastic weekend. Take care. And uh, we'll be back next week at some point. Not sure when. because. Nope. We'll I'm have a chat about that No, indeed. But watch the social media links. So that's it for me, Carlos. Take yeah. care. Nev, where, where are you off to? Anything good this week? Uh, this week is lots of uh, driving around the country again. Uh, uh, but yes, a very busy week at work and uh, bits and pieces. So yes. Oh, dear. And uh, Armando, you're, you're still in Europe, aren't you? That's correct. No, uh, nothing exciting for me. Just uh, we'll be sitting here in Germany. Wow. <laughs> there we are. So uh, and on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to end. So thanks very much for watching uh, the show. We will, as I say, watch the social media notes, links. If you want to catch the live show, we'll let you know uh, as soon as we know uh, when it's going to be. But that is it, boys and girls. It's time to say goodbye. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Woohoo. Bye. Bye.